I don't know if anybody out there is a fan of stand-up comedy, but one thing before I read the scripture here, I just wanted to say, I, it's you hear people, they go to different places and they say, uh, you know, New York, I love you. And, you know, Chicago, every time I come out here, I always go down the street and I always eat barbecue at this place. And um, it's all fake because they don't have enough time to actually enjoy being in that many places. But I am super blessed to be here because God's people, we are a church universal. And I don't have to say, I could, I could even mess up the name of the church because that's not what matters. It matters that we're here together worshiping one God. Let's pray. I'm sorry, we already prayed. Let's read. That's what I meant to say. All right. Uh, our text this morning is Leviticus 9. We're going to read the whole chapter. Here I go, starting in verse 1. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old, without blemish, for a burnt offering and an ox, and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today, the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented him the blood and he dipped his fingers in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, liver from the sin offering, he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering and Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. And they handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece and the head and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail, and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breasts, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to the people. 
And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Thus far the reading of God's word. We're going to look at the obedience, the factor of obedience here. And we're going to have five points, and some of them are going to be pretty quick. The first one we're going to start with is going to be obedience, how obedience affects relationship. Then we're going to look at how obedience is imitation. And then how obedience is a stipulation. Fourth, obedience is tested. And last, obedience reveals the glory of the Lord. This passage of Leviticus describes Aaron's initiation to the high priestly office and him fulfilling his role as mediator through animal sacrifice. And what we'll find is that Israel saw the Lord according to Aaron's obedience in sacrifice. All right. A little note about myself. I grew up, I do have some white here, so you probably have some idea of where I grew, when, how, when I grew up. I grew up at the end of the analog age. It was a really neat time. That was when uh, arcades and skating rinks were still pretty cool. Uh, doorbells could not see you. DIY didn't mean anything because we did everything ourselves. Um, back in those days, I remember getting in trouble and you know, I'd be sent to my room because my mom would say, you need to go to your room, wait till your dad gets home. Some of you might be familiar with this. And I remember praying in those, those childlike 10-year-old prayers of, please let my dad have a good day at work. <laughs> you know? I needed, I needed to try to change something on that end because what I had done had put me crosswise with someone in authority in my life. And in general... I was the one. I, mean, I was the one who made the mistake, right? And my dad, he he was a really fun person. He was energetic, humorous, and kind. I mean, we used to play Monopoly at the dining table as a family. That's probably not the best example of of a fun dad, but the point is that he was, and he was a constant in his life, and so if there was a problem in our relationship, it's because I had changed. I understood that I wasn't, that it wasn't him that had changed. And obedience is a commodity that we trade in constantly, not just with parents, not just with children, but when you get an Uber, or when you order Grubhub, or tell Alexa to put uh, something on your shopping list. The way those instructions are followed, that affects the tip. It affects the product review or at least how much we trust that thing that uh, we're expecting obedience from. Obedience affects relationship. In our uh, passage, verses 1 through 4 are talking about, and it's this Leviticus 9, our, uh, what we just read. Verses 1 through 4 show Moses giving specific instructions to Aaron. He calls Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he says to Aaron, hey, go get all these things, get all these animals, and have the people get their things, their animals, and bring them for burnt offering. 
And then at the end of verse 4, he says, For today the Lord will appear to you. Aaron has to do all of these things because the Lord will appear. Again, this is not really uncommon. Now, if you put it in the context of animal sacrifices, none of us here probably had to do that. However, what do we do when we know an esteemed guest is coming over? I mean, we're Southern, right? You dust off the fancy plates. None of this paper plate stuff. No Dixie cups. We make sure there's enough wine or that there isn't any wine. It just depends on who's coming over. We get ready and put our best foot forward is what we do. And what does a good guest say when he or she enters a home? Well, if some effort was made to clean, you know, and to be hospitable, then a good guest will say, wow, you have a beautiful home. You have a lovely home. I love what you've done with this. But if no effort was made, the verdict may not be quite so kind. Well, after all the animals are brought together in verse 5, Moses seems to repeat himself in verse 6, but it's not exactly the same. I'll, I'll read verse 6 here. And then Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. There is a difference here. He says, Do all these things so that the glory of the Lord may appear. Now, that's a verdict. That is a conditional result. In verse 4, he's circling a day on the calendar saying, this is the day when the Lord will appear to you. And then in verse 6, he says, do all these things so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. The Lord is always glorious. But those with unatoned sin behold his wrath instead. If you'll think back to Exodus 32, I'm going to go ahead and turn back there and read a few verses, I think. Uh, the people had brought burnt offerings. You know, I'm just going to give the overview here. I don't, I don't want to wait, take too much time here, but because uh, everyone's heard this story. It's a very common story. The people had brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain. And in verse 10, God told Moses, now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. Obedience affected relationship. Now let's look at how obedience is imitation. Think about the details of how these sacrifices were to be made. Blood sprinkled here, certain parts of animals set aside, etc. Those verbal instructions had a reference to what Moses had shown Aaron in chapter 8. We're going to look back there. Uh, if you take a note of it, Leviticus 8, starting in 13, and pretty much just keep going. It shows the whole process, from clothing to cutting to consecration. But it was Moses doing it as part of Aaron's ordination. I'm not going to, to read the whole thing, but if you look at verses 27 and 28, of, this is of chapter 8, he says, And he put all these in the hands of Aaron, in the hands of his sons, and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. 
That's like when you put a hammer in your kid's hand and you hold it and you just do the, you know, you help him do the thing. I mean, he's showing Aaron how this works. And the point of that, the details of chapter 8 are exactly what we see Aaron doing in the, our chapter this morning. All the things that Aaron does, he's been shown how to do very very vividly, very intimately, right up there next to Moses. And that's because obedience is imitation. You cannot do perfect obedience unless it's been imitated, it's been done for you. As we move into the next point, I want to look at a little bit deeper at that Exodus 32 that we looked at before for context. And the first part of the chapter contains the account of Aaron making the golden calf and the, and the altar. And we just looked at verse 10, where God's wrath burned against the people for idolatry. But now let's look at Moses' reaction when he came down the mountain and Aaron's explanation of events. I'm going to read for, uh, verses 19 to 24, and this is in Exodus 32. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know these people, they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, let any of you who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. And I threw it in the fire. And out came this calf. Everything Aaron said here to Moses is technically true, except for the part about the calf coming out of the fire. I want to really single that part out, though, because... What really happened, according to verse 4, was Aaron received the gold from the hands of the people, and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And notice the one part he lied about was the part where he used the tool to put the calf together for the offering of the people. And so now take that to our, our section this morning and consider that now how fitting it is that in the sight of all the people, he would be commanded to use a tool to dismember a sacrifice brought to him by the people. All right, let's stick that in your hat somewhere or pocket. Obedience is a stipulation. We're going to use that. Sin spreads. It spreads like a plague. Your sin desires to consume more than just you. It wants your family. It wants your friends. And it wants your neighbors. It flows like a muddy river after a flood. You know, a clean river looks nice until it rains, and all of a sudden it's all muddy. And it flows like that. And then after the flood is gone, you see all that stuff on the side of the river, right? All the trash, all the dirt, all the branches. It flows like that, and it leaves destruction in its wake. It delivers guilt all along its course. Aaron was responsible for leading the people in sin. Atoning for his own sin was only the first step in the right direction but he had to do it before he could do anything for anyone else. Look at verses 7 and 8 in our section of Leviticus 9. 
verse 7. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. Then verse 8, so Aaron drew near to the altar and killed a calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him and he dipped his fingers in the blood and he put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. I went went on through nine, but... um, What's going on there is, we'll look at 15 and contrast that. Let's go ahead to 15. Then he presented the people's offer, offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. Okay, do you, do you see that those are different things? What we see is, is given precedence in Leviticus 4, verse 3. And it says, if the anointing priest sins, bringing guilt upon the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without a defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. Aaron had brought guilt on the people and then self-consciously placed all the blame at their feet. The first sacrifice, verses 8 through 14, makes Aaron suitable to make sacrifice on behalf of the people. And it clears the people of the sin that Aaron brought on them. The sacrifice that the people bring, which is 15 and 18, verses 15 and 18, that is for the sin they brought upon themselves and for a peace offering. Now, what does all this mean? By the end of verse 21, the sacrificing is all done. And this statement in verse 22 it's really short, and it's really simple, and it'd be easy to overlook its importance. It says, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Seems like a good conclusion, just kind of wrap things up. But imagine how Aaron must have felt at this point. Here he stands at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He's covered in blood. And he's exhausted. This all happened at the end of a seven-day ordination period, during which he could not leave the tabernacle of the congregation on fear of death. What must have been going through his mind as he butchered those animals? Spilling their blood, removing their innards, snapping their joints. What was he thinking as he labored under the weight of each carcass destined for the altar or when his fingers plunged into a bowl of warm blood were his own words echoing back to him you know how prone these people are to evil or were the words of Moses coming back to him you have committed a great sin but now I will go up to the Lord perhaps I can make atonement for you those same hands that had fashioned the golden calf had just slaughtered two living calves and other livestock. And now they're being raised over the people in blessing. Those same lips that had led the people astray and then condemned them for what he had encouraged were now parted to speak pardon and peace. And don't forget the first point, because you can be sure it was on Aaron's mind. The Lord will appear, and Aaron's specific obedience will affect their relation, whether the people see the Lord's glory or are consumed by the Lord's wrath. 
He must obediently make an atoning sacrifice for his own sin, followed by a sacrifice for the sin he brought on the people. And he has to do it all just so. Or else the sacrifice for the people will be pointless. His obedience is a stipulation, a precondition to atoning for the people. That's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Obedience is tested. That is the next one. And it's a really short one. We don't have much left in the chapter. Verse 23. Look at verse 23. Just the first part of it. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. That also seems like a really small thing. But see, Moses has been in the tent of meeting before. and He's lived to tell the tale. But this is Aaron's first voyage. And although there are other explanations for why both men entered the tent, one very probable, I would say very probable explanation, is that Aaron might have needed Moses to carry him out. His body. Either way, Aaron is going in, and his obedience will be tested by whether he lives or dies in the presence of of the living God. All right, remember the point so far. Obedience affects relation, whether we see wrath or glory. Obedience is imitation. That is how perfect obedience is learned. Obedience is a stipulation. A dirty vessel cannot pour out clean water. Obedience is tested. Only perfect obedience can withstand God's holy presence. And finally, obedience reveals the glory of the Lord. We're going to read all of verse 23 again and then 24. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the, Lord, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Glory! followed by consuming fire. What a day. Think about this moment in time. Put yourself in the sandals of these Israelites, recently delivered from Egypt's oppression. You know who God is. You know what he has done. You've seen Moses' face glow so that you couldn't even look at it unveiled. You've seen waters parted, armies crushed and drowned, rivers turned to blood. The mightiest nation and your taskmaster brought to its knees. And the firstborn of every household of that nation snuffed out in a single night without even the whisper of a sword being drawn. What's more, you've sinned a terrible sin against this God. You haven't just made him mad or made him want to leave you alone. You've stoked the fury of his wrath. The only reason you still breathe is because God has kept his distance. He has turned away from the stench of you. If he should ever draw near enough, you would be consumed and you would know and you know it. So imagine how those words of Moses would have sounded in your ears that morning. Hey, today, Lord will appear to you. Now imagine the relief 
but seeing the glory of the Lord. And if that's the glory of the Lord, then that means Aaron succeeded. His atonement worked. And as soon as that thought settles in your mind, whoosh, oxygen-consuming fire, thundering inferno, it leaps from somewhere amid the glory of the Lord and totally consumes every morsel of those glory cadavers which bore your sin on the altar. Can you taste the relief? Their trust was well-placed in Aaron, God's anointed. He did it. His obedience was tested and found sufficient. He secured their atonement, and he would do it again. And he would do it again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And then one day he would die, and other priests would take his place, and they would do it. Until eventually, after the blood of 100,000 sacrifices had been spilled, with no end in sight, the high priests they would stop seeing the blood on their hands. And the people would not care if their offering was accepted. And this was always going to happen because no calf or bull or yearling lamb can pay what you owe. A guilty high priest is a poor and unworthy shadow of what you really need. So what is it that we really need? If you have a minute to turn over to Hebrews chapter 7, I love that we went through 10, that way we're not repeating it, but Hebrews is just so rich. I can, we can, we're going to look at 7 this morning. I'm going to read from uh, starting in verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one is made a priest by, the, uh, by an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You need a high priest who has done no wrong, who doesn't need to atone for his own sin before he atones for yours. You need a high priest who is the glory and who bears the wrath. One who does not point the finger at you except to say, you're on my tab, I'm paying for you. You need a high priest who is Jesus Christ alone. Obedience affects relation. It is learned by imitation. It is a stipulation to atoning for others. 
It is tested by God's consuming presence, and it reveals the glory of the Lord. And Christ alone is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. Christ alone now dwells bodily in the throne room in the presence of God. Christ alone offered himself in so spotless a state that he could purify you. Christ alone learned obedience through suffering, doing nothing that was not in imitation of his Father. And the obedience of Christ alone allows you to see God's glory instead of his wrath. Are you standing at the tent of meeting? Wondering if your offering will be accepted? Do you trust in your good deeds, your youth group attendance, weekly Bible study, scientific skepticism, work ethic, kosher salt? Trust in Christ alone. There is no salvation apart from him. Or perhaps you're standing at the foot of the cross, sure of your high priest, but living as one who no longer sees the blood. Ask the Holy Spirit to restore the joy of your salvation. See again, cry out again, and fall on your face again, as Israel did on that day. Don't walk away from the tent of meeting without being assured of your pardon. Finally, know that your Redeemer lives. Christ, who was crucified and buried, was also raised and is now seated in heaven. Still your high priest, ever making intercession for you on account of the price he paid. Once for all, never to be repeated. The final, complete, and perfect form of what Aaron could only weakly foreshadow. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, that we can approach you is a mystery. And we know it is by grace alone that we are able to do so. Thank you for every condescension you have given us. Your word, revelation, the prophets. But thank you for speaking in these last days by way of son. A high priest that could sacrifice for us without having to sacrifice for himself first. For one who would conquer death and stand in your presence forever, interceding. Nothing we could ever possibly dream of doing could ever merit such a gift or such grace. And so we stand in awe. We are grateful for all of this and ask that you will, by your Holy Spirit, help us to live in light of our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.